As you're listening to this, my book, Small Doses, is in stores. That's right. You can go to a store and pick up a book with my face on it. My face! Crazy! So go to your local bookseller and support. And if you are someone who doesn't go out and you just wanted to show up at your house, order it. But I just want to let everybody know that I appreciate everyone who's like shared small doses, whether publicly or privately. And I hope you continue to do so. Right now, we are really trying to make the New York Times bestsellers list. And that will come from supportive readers like you. So it's really about spreading the word. And if you were thinking about getting something for Christmas gifts, like get your bulk order in now. But the key is that it's really just, you know, important to me that this happen um, through like word of mouth and through just like a genuine appreciation. Like if you like it, I just ask that you share it. If you don't like it, I just ask you don't shit on it. That's all I'm saying. But thank you to everyone who has supported thus far in this process because we are about to spend a whole episode talking about the creative process and we'll be sprinkling in elements of how this book has to do with that when we get into the show right now. It's so funky. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Small Doses. This is going to be a special episode because today, you know, is the first 24 hours of my book being in stores. Small Doses is based on this podcast the book version is small doses potent truths for everyday use and i was really trying to think about like how i would do a podcast episode related to the book that didn't seem just kind of like redundant to other things that we've done and that also didn't just seem like a bunch of like shameless promotion for this book and i felt like the best thing to do was to talk about just the overall mindset that needed to be in place in order for this book to even happen, which relates to creative process in general. And I'm somebody who's been an artist and identified as an artist for a very long time. And it's taken me some years to really even lock in like what my creative process is, how it functions, how it shifts, and getting comfortable with knowing it to the T so that I can put it to use when it needs to be used. And I talk about this in the book, uh, but we're going to get into an extensive conversation about it now because it doesn't just apply to writing a book. And I think for what it's worth, like I've already moved on to my next project and it's applying to what I'm doing right now, which is writing scripts. So some might think, well, well it's, it's still, still writing. writing. Oh, no, no, no. Different. We'll get into why and we'll get into how. Because this is Small Doses, Side Effects of the Creative Process. First, let's talk about the idea. So whether you're an artist or of any kind, an inventor, etc., like you have an idea. You have a concept that comes into your brain and you're just like, huh, what am I going to do with that? I think that's the first question that you ask yourself. Like, well, what am I going to do with this idea? For some people, they immediately go, nothing. This is, I, I, this, I have nothing to do with this. Other people think, well, let me just sleep on it. If you're like me, you immediately do a quick assessment of its value. Does it make money? Does it make you happy? Does it involve other people? What's going to take to do it? And I know that like just because I've been doing this work for so long, like my assessment process is like very snappy, but it takes a while to develop that. In the beginning, it just simply has to be, do I like this? Does even thinking about this bring me joy? Especially if you're embarking on like a new artistic trajectory. So like for me, like I haven't really written scripts like that. You know, like I've written poetry. I've written essays, I've written stories, but I've never written scripts in like a lot, like I've wrote my web series. But as a practice, I wouldn't say that I've like written scripts. So 
I've had to like literally like say to myself, are you sure you even want to embark on this? Because what happens a lot of times when you have an idea is also the, the in that question, you ask yourself, not just what am I going to do with this, but can I do this? Like, am I even able to do this? And we're going to get to what you do with that. Now, with this book, when I had the idea that I wanted to write a book, my first question was like, well, what would you even do? And that took six years to come to fruition. I've gone through a number of iterations of just the idea phase of this creative process. And I think a lot of us don't understand that like, that's That's just just how how it be sometimes. sometimes. Like you might simply just be in the idea phase. I want to write a book. I think I could write a script. Like it may not even come to you as like, I want to write a book about. It literally may just be like, I think I want to write a book. And that phase of an idea can like last for quite some time because it may take experiences or advice, a number of things to even develop that into the second part of it, which is I want to write a book about, which then takes you to, can I, can I write this book? So that's what had stopped me a number of times. It'd be like, I want to write a book about my experience in hip hop. Can I write a book about my experience in hip hop? I mean, I guess I could, but we'll see what happens. Then it'd be like, can, I want to write a book of essays. Can I write a book of essays? I guess I could. But the next part that comes after that is, does it excite you? And what always happens with me is I'll go, I want to do something. Then I'll be like, can I do something? Yes. And I'm like, I'm excited to do something. Yo, if that excited to do something doesn't like click in, I know that I got to wait or like try something new with the idea. A good example of this is that we have a segment on Smart for Neon Black's Instagram called A Word from Our Headmaster Blacksburg. And we had originally created this segment to be kind of like this space where I would talk about things because I was like getting away from my Instagram and I wanted to still like have a space where like people could hear me talk about things. And what I realized though was that like I was never inspired to do these videos. Like my social media person would be just like on my back. Like our social media uh, coordinator for Smartphone and Black would be like asking me over and over again for these videos, and I just never felt inspired to do it. And then I finally had to check myself and be like, "What's the reason why you're not doing this? Because you wanted to do it and you can do it, but you're not excited to do it. You know that you still want to do it. You know that you can do it." but you're not excited to do it. Why? And that's when I had to sit there and think about why you're not excited to do it. And when I got to the bottom of it, it was because the content felt redundant and it didn't like stimulate my mind. And so I still wanted to make the videos. I still knew that I could, but it was like, what can you do that will stimulate your mind? And that's when we re-approached and decided to make a word from my headmaster Blackspurt videos of me breaking down vocabulary words in my own unique Amanda way of doing things, which creatively is very stimulating to my mind because it engages both my intellectual and my hilarical sides. Hilarical is a made-up Harlem word for hilarious. So when it came to the book, it was the same thing. Like, what am I going to do I know that I can do anything, but like what's going to excite me? So when Small Doses came along as an option, it came along because of listeners like you all saying to me, we'd really like to get more of what you're saying, but like in a more like accessible way. And I just started thinking about like what that actually meant. Well, to be honest, the podcast came out of the same request of my Instagram. People saying we love what you talk about on your Instagram and we'd love to see it in a more accessible way. We'd love to see it in a more um, like concrete way. And so it seemed like a natural progression to come to this book. But again, we're still in the idea phase. Because when I had the idea to do Small Doses, the book, I took Small Doses literally and was like, maybe it'll just be quotes. Maybe it'll be more like a coffee table book, kind of like a pretty book you get at Urban Outfitters, you know, with like cool images and fonts and just like, real bite-sized and digestible. And that was how I pitched it. I pitched it as a book that was more about aesthetics uh, that allowed for people to take in intellectual information, like based on like cool aesthetics. And that right there 
was the first idea that I like got excited about. Let me tell you how I know I got excited about it. Because I couldn't, when I was in the world doing other things, I was thinking about it. Like when I'm in the world doing other things, I'm like, I wonder when I can get back and start working on that. And that's when I know that I'm excited about it. So I feel like you have to learn what your process is of like knowing if you're truly excited about something or if you're just kind of being mechanized. Because sometimes it's literally just like, I should be doing this. I have done this. And so it's only natural that I'm supposed to do this now. And that can feel very mechanical and very technical. And those are the worst places to create art from. So you want to find a way to like do something that you're genuinely excited and enthusiastic about because that's when the passion is going to really show in the project. And so when I found myself doing that and like losing attention on other things because I wanted to like ref- like work on like my pitch and really like get it together and everything, that's when I was like, oh yeah, 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 this is it. Oh yeah, 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 this is it. Yeah, 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 yeah. And what happens is that when you have that, then you can start pitching your idea to people and there's a true passion behind it that makes them say, huh, I want to hear more or I want to give you money to do this idea or I want to come support this idea. And that can be very hard to garner when you don't have that true thing behind it. Pitching shows in Hollywood is so like difficult sometimes because you're pitching something that's so at its infancy stage a lot of times that it feels like you're not fully vested in it and then people can realize that. Now, I'm at a point where like I'm going to start pitching things and I realized I don't want to pitch something unless I am truly like vested in it in a way that like I'm thinking about it even when I'm doing other things and I have projects that I have in my mind that allow me to do that next phase application so like when you're applying the idea to actual praxis it is a bitch it is a bitch it is a bitch it is a bitch because that can be when you realize like, oh, I guess I got to go back to the idea because this isn't like really working because now you've asked yourself like, what do I want to do? And then you're like, I want to do this. And then you're like, can I do it? And you're like, yes, I can do it. And you're like, I'm excited about it. I'm totes excites. And then you like dig in to do it and you're like, wow, this is trash. Like I had this like grandiose idea that I was going to like play a, like characters and I was going to like interview myself as characters and I just thought this was going to be fabulous like I set up a shoot like I had a, I had the costume I mean I literally like I really got down on like making this happen and then we shot it and it was so bad it was so bad y'all now the tough part about application though is realizing like this is bad. And then having to figure out like, but, but why? why? But why is this bad? So it's not even just like, why am I not inspired? Because that's not where we're at. We're now at, I was inspired to do this shit. I was excited and it's trash. Why? And that can be a difficult space to get out of because you don't want to let that stop you from doing the work. You know, you don't want to let it stop you from developing this idea that got you excited in the first place, because that's a lot of times what ends up happening. You just like talk yourself out of it. You're like, oh, my God, never mind. I shouldn't even try this in the first place. Oh, my God. Who do I think I am? This is ridiculous. You know, and that's a lot of times also when people like start putting that self-doubt in your head, too. They're like, wow, that was a really trash ass idea. You probably shouldn't have done that, dumbass. And you're like, wow, that's harsh. That's freaking harsh. I don't see you doing anything. You got a lot of nerve saying that shit in tube socks and, and, and underwear. I don't see you trying anything because listen, it'd be the most, it'd be the most non-trying ass people that want to tell you something about trying something. Like, listen, the people that are not willing to go past the idea and fall on their face are the first ones to laugh when you face down in the mud. And those people are the people that when you get out of that mud, make sure you spit that mud in their face with trying again. So when I was in high school, I um, went to Dr. Phillips High School the greatest high school of all time. And I was in troop 4276. And that's our drama troupe. And we were like very well known in the drama theater competition scene as being the fucking best. And every year we would win state for ensemble group musical. Okay. Like that was the thing. Like everybody knew like we're showing up, but let's be real. We were the Simone Biles of group musical. Like Like, you're all showing up and like we appreciate you, but let's be real. We're a cut above. I mean, come on. So 
It was tradition that at our school, a senior would be the one who would organize the group musical, who would inter- who would cast the group musical, and who would then take it to districts and then subsequently win districts with Critics' Choice and go perform at state. This had happened year after year after year after year after year. My junior year, this was done, and I did not get selected for group musical. <gasps> it was devastating. Because the person who was like putting together a musical was my friend. And he said to me, well, Amanda, it's not about friendship. It's about talent. So he felt that I did not have the talent to be a part of his group musical. And I mean, listen, I was still getting my feet wet in musicals where a lot of these other kids that I was going to school with, like they grew up doing musicals when they were like, like they were in Oliver when they were in seven and shit. You know what I'm saying? Whereas like the only musical I knew about was Cats and Les Mis. And my mom definitely took us out of Les Mis halfway through because she was like, this is boring. So, Yeah. Um, I definitely like didn't get my feet wet into the musical world of things until I was in high school and surrounded by folks who were like very well versed. So that was a blow. But it was like, I still was like, yeah, but I, but, but I like want to do it though. I really think I could do every musical. And I was like, can you? It's like, yeah, I do. I think I think I can. And then it just was like haunting me. I was like very excited about doing this. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to get the rejects together. And we're going to do one. Now, one thing you should know about me is that like, and I'll talk about this later, like in another, in another podcast, but like, I've never, I've always been the reject. Like, like I think people think because I'm considered like pretty according to like European standards of beauty or whatever the fuck, like that I am like, I've never been the popular girl. I used to be, I was flat chested forever. Like, and if I, and even when, even when I got titties, I was still loud. You know, and I was still like, <laughs> like when I, like when I was in freshman, like sophomore year of college, like I was in a suite with seven other girls and they all like five out of the seven were just terrible to me. Like when I got there the first day, my name was stripped off of the door and strewn to the side, you know, discarded to the side. And I was like, oh, this is going to be a fun year. And, and a month in, I literally was like, you know what? Like, I think we should all just like get together to talk about why you don't like me. And I got a bottle of tequila and I sat down and had everyone sit around and literally like tell me why they don't like me. Uh, Word to the wise, don't Don't do do that. that. It's not worth your time. But I was, you know, 19. So they all went down the list and everybody's explanation was you're too much. You're a lot. You're a show off. You know, I just feel like you're extra. And so the consensus was, we don't like you because you you exude a lot of energy in your existence. And in that moment, I was just like, oh, well, well, I mean, that's not going to change. Because as a creative, I need all of this energy to get from past the idea stage to the application stage and beyond. And when I was in high school, I was one of the rejects and I put together a group and we decided to try doing group musical ourselves as juniors, which, which by the way, way was not... A thing. thing. And we first tried with Smokey Joe's Cafe's song, Woman. When I tell y'all, we had to perform this at like, just like a kind of like check-in showcase. Wow. 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 So bad. It was the most abysmal, embarrassing display that people were literally chuckling from the wings while we were performing. And that was one of those times where as a creative, I was at my lowest because I'm being humiliated by, by myself. myself. Like I'm literally humiliating myself and people are, uh, the, the jig is up because they're like, yes, this is humiliating for you. <laughs> and you're just like, wow, like maybe I shouldn't do this. And I literally like said, like I shouldn't do this and I stopped. But then we went to go see the play Chicago a couple of months later and I saw Cell Block Tango And something got excited in me again. And sometimes you need that time. Sometimes you do need that time away from the fail to get the re-up again. So I want you to just consider giving yourself that time. Like you failed and you're just like, fuck, I failed. And I'm not saying that you have to get back up immediately, but I'm also saying don't just count it out. Allow yourself to say like, you know what, maybe there's a better option down the road and I'm gonna just keep my head open for it. In my creative process, that is exactly how I deal with like, writer's block that's how I deal with like 
lack of inspiration. I just step back. Like I just go and do something else. Like I just let myself be free of it, which is so hard for a lot of us because we're like, no, I need to figure this out. And sometimes it's just not for you right now. It's not. I ended up going to see Chicago, saw Sub Black Tango, came back to Orlando, called the theater, got the libretto from the theater, mailed to my high school. The shit showed up. It was like the size of the old fucking Testament. It was like the size of Moses tablets. And I ended up getting Kenny Thompson, rest in peace to play it so that I could convince the rejects to work with me on doing Sub Black Tango. Long, Long story short, short, we ended up winning. Rebecca and Brendan were forced to watch it last week because I definitely have it on tape. We ended up winning. And I'm like, I, I will always tell that story because at no point in this process were we expected to win. Even until the point that we performed, they still thought they had won. We won in an upset because we literally just had only the desire to do it at our backs. We didn't even have like the, the promise of prestige. And sometimes like that's, what's going to get you in this application phase through. It may not be the promise of money. It may not be the promise of winning awards or prestige. It simply may just be because I just need to do this shit. I just need to do this shit and get the shit out. For me with this book, when I started the process of this book, I didn't think about like, will I make a bestseller list? Like, will like, it was literally just like, I know that I need to write a book and I know that I want to write a book that matters and it's going to matter not because it sells a bunch of copies or because it makes a New York Times bestseller list, even though those are things I would love to happen, but it's going to matter because there are people who have asked for this and I want to be able to make something that means something to them and me simultaneously. In the application process, please be fair with yourself. Please be gentle with yourself. There's an incredible video that takes the words of Ira Glass about taste and like streams it through like a... It's like a video, a word video. I know that was very descriptive, but it lets you, it it really helps you understand the process of like, your taste is going to change. You know, you're going to make whack work like, and that's going to happen even in this creative process with something you're working on. I'm working on a script right now from when I started writing it two months ago to now, I have seen it get exponentially better. Not just because of time and working on it, but also because like I let myself trust that my initial start point isn't the end point. There's a better place to get to. And part of that, that I want to speak to an application is education. And a A lot lot of us need to understand understand that we don't know it all. And that as artists, we can always learn from other spaces. So like for me, I've been painting forever. I've been doing comedy. I've been acting, et cetera, et cetera. Like, but there's still something for me to learn. Now I have my ways of learning. Like I don't like acting classes. That doesn't help me, but I love to study the form. Like I like to study it in action. When it comes to writing these scripts, I signed up for a script writing class. It has exponentially improved my writing. The concept of what writing is to me. Like it's like clear, it's like even enhanced like that and script writing. And most importantly, I think it's really just given me language that I didn't have to actually get my writing out. So even when I was writing this book, there's lingo in all of these spaces that helps you into how you get your idea out. And when you don't know that lingo, sometimes it's holding you back and you didn't even know. You didn't even know that like, When you're writing this, when I'm writing the book, it's like, okay, well, you need to consider that essays are different than stories. And like, you know, this is how long essays tend to be. And this is how long stories tend to be. And like, you know, when you're, when you're writing this, like also consider just like, um, there's like things like the galley and like there, I just mean there's lingo. okay? Okay. There's fucking lingo. And there's. Even in writing, so like another thing is like even literary lingo. Like if you want to write a book and you don't know what alliteration is, you don't know what foreshadowing is, you don't know what verisimilitude is, you don't know what metaphor and and analogy are, like I'm not judging you for not knowing those things, but if you're writing a book, let me tell you something. When you know what those literary devices are, it enhances your process of writing the book so much more because they're tools. They're tools for the record. Alliteration is when you're using the same sound, the same syllables 
in, in a number of words. So when I say something like Peter Peppers, that's alliteration. When you're saying verisimilitude, verisimilitude is like basically using it's details that make something seem true that's not actually true. Like so basically like Nathaniel Hawthorne used verisimilitude in Scarlet Letter by making up a story that didn't really take place in puritanical age, but using elements of the puritanical age to make it seem like, yes, this absolutely could have happened at that time. So then you have like uh, illusion. Illusion is when you are like referencing something without directly referencing it. So then you have foreshadowing, which is when you are making a reference to something that's going to happen in the future, but people, but the audience doesn't know, but you basically like set it up as like something so that when it does happen, people are like, oh, they had said before, oh, foreshadowing. It's basically like turning the story down a path, you know? These are all things that like, when you have them at your disposal, it enhances your writing so much more because they're in you, but now you can go directly to them as opposed to just stumbling upon them. Next step, refinement. Refinement is a beautiful dark time. Refinement is a beautiful dark time because it means that like you got the shit out and now you got to get the shit out the shit. And it's arduous. It's like interminable. It's time consuming. It's like, it's very meticulous work. It's detail oriented. It's messy. Um, And it uses a part of your brain that you probably didn't use much of when you were creating just from the manifestations phase. And it's really when you start to define, when you fine tune things based on things outside of just your creative joy. So this is when you start looking at the things that maybe can be a hindrance to you. Like it's when you start getting technical about things like, Hmm, maybe I need to move this paragraph around to make this story make sense more. Whereas when you wrote it, you were just flowing. I'm flowing, I'm a river, I'm flowing on a river. But now it's like, no, I need to get precise. When I was editing my book, I went to Grenada and I was having a hard time editing it because I had just finished writing it. And it was just like, I don't even see these words again. Like it took me so long to get these out of my system. I feel like I birthed this, like these words are my fucking ovaries. And not that you can birth your ovaries, but you know what I mean. And... I feel like in this phase, you got to say that same excitement that you had to find in the idea phase. You got to like find it again in this phase to get you through. This is the phase when like you've, you've, you've written the play, you've mounted the play, right? So you've, you're on stage, you blocked it. Now y'all got to like act. (laughs) And that's when the shit gets real, right? Cause before we were just like feeling around this and, you know, seeing what happens. And for some people, they love this part. Some people love this part because this is when it gets real. We're refining, like we were playing before and now we're really doing it. But for other people, this is when it gets fucking scary also because now it's like, oh, this shit is real. Like we, it, this isn't just like a vision board. You know, this is like now the thing that I did and it's one step closer to the thing that people are going to know that I did. So now I need to refine this shit so that people don't look at me fucking crazy. That can feel like a lot of pressure. And so you got to find a way to turn that pressure into excitement, which is more so just kind of thinking it as like, this is the time that I get to take my project that I already know that I did from the heart and take it to like the genius box. I talk about the genius box because it's a place that a lot of us are afraid to go and that people are afraid for us to go. Because it's when you step into a realm that you haven't been to yet with your stuff and it enforces you to get out of your head It forces you to like take on other ideas and to really just be free. And that's hard. It can be really hard to like let yourself just like be free and know that like, okay, I did it. Now I need to let things come to me to make it perfect, to like elevate it, to like make it excel. When I went to Grenada, I went to Grenada like on a break and I was supposed to be editing my book while I was there, but I was also supposed to be taking a break. But I was having such a hard time editing the book. And I was definitely editing it like half sleep. I ain't gonna lie to y'all. Like it was really just an exercise in doing, not in wanting to do. And then I went to dinner with my uncle. My uncle's a former judge in Grenada. 
And he was, you know, trained here in the States. So he's, you know, got a consciousness about the way things go um, in different places. And he was like, listen, a book is a deposition. So edit it and edit it twice. That was the best advice anyone has given me about this book. Because when you do a deposition, it means that your words are being put on record forever. And you want to make sure that the words that you put on record forever are true and just and are not perjurious. That is essentially what my book is, right? Right? Like, I want to make sure that the words I'm putting on paper are true and just and not perjurious. And when I went back and started editing this shit from that point of view, wow. Because it's not just that they're true and just, but you want to make sure that motherfuckers know that they can't just play with your words. And you want to make sure that the words that you said are clearly indicative of a true and just point of view that you mean to put out. And there were a lot of places in my book where I feel like I was originally just like, taking um, liberties with like, oh, people will know what I mean, you know, or like, this is, this is, this is vague, but it's clear enough. No. Cause in a deposition, you can't be vague. You know, like you, you, you can't be vague. You got to keep it very sharp, very clear. They will ask you for all those details. Now, when you're working on any piece, like this one, you're at a, in working on a painting and you step back. That's what this part is. When you do the painting and you think you've, and you've like, I've done everything that I could do this close to the campus canvas and you step back when you're doing a painting you get to this phase over and over and over again, because you do. And then you step back and you're like, Oh, I got to go back in oh, and you step back. Okay. I got to go back in. Same with the book, same with the play, same with a song. You know, when you record a song and you, you get the recording back and then you listen to it 35 fucking times in your car and you're like, oh, I need to add the ooze. Oh, those ooze. Mm, I don't like those ooze. I gotta, I gotta add a. Things got me fucked up. I gotta, I gotta add up, up, an up there. I need to get an up there. Okay. Ooh. Yeah, you're missing the ooh. Or you're flat on the ooh. Yeah, got it. Nope, nope, nope. It's ooh. Like refinement. And you gotta wanna love the refinement the same way you loved the first part. Because if you don't, you're gonna put out some shit you don't love. Next phase, release the ejaculation of your project. (laughs) Oh, man. It's a beautiful, dark time. Again. Because the release is simultaneously the relief of having completed something. At the same time that it is the impending anxiety of response. But I want you to just take a moment to enjoy the release before you get to the re- the reception. We don't do a lot of that. Like, and I, I mean, I can say that because I'm the worst at that. Like, I just, I do it and I'm done. Like, my book came out and it was like, all right, that's, all right, it's out. When my special came out, I can honestly tell you that I didn't truly like revel in my special. I don't know if I ever have yet, actually, now that I say that. I don't know if I have. I don't know if I have. I don't know if I even got the opportunity to kind of just like sit with the accomplishment. Because what happened, especially in Hollywood, what happens is like immediately after the release of something that you have done well, there's options that come and people that come and, you know, so your, your attention gets diverted into like honoring that. And I feel like I'm such like a prolific, like let's get on to the next that I kind of don't take enough time to just revel in the release of like, I've given this out. Like, let me just (sighs) exhale with it. I immediately start to consider What do people think about it? And you know what I think that's also? I think that's also like a product of this internet age too because we've we've become so programmed with like immediate response. I'm also a comic, so I'm also programmed for immediate response by the nature of being a comic. And it simply just is an 
unrealistic. Well, well I, it's, it's not unrealistic because it really happens. But it simply just at this point feels like an impractical way of getting the best out of you after you've given the best of you. So let's just take a moment right now in this podcast for me to exhale that my fucking book is out. Fucking book. It took a year to write it. Whatever happens will happen. Whatever comes will come. But what really has taken place is that what I said I would do is now done. Okay. Feel free to use that for yourself. <laughs> that came off top. I feel like that's like the creative's prayer or something, like a manifesto or it's like some, it's something. Because when you get to this place, especially if you are a creative for a living, it's just like stressful, dude. You know, like, and the bigger you get, the bigger, the, the higher the stakes get. And the more you start to realize that like everything you do is based on the success of what you create. So which is why I literally try to create spaces where I create just for myself still, because I've kept art to myself for quite some time because I never wanted my my visual art to bear the weight of market um, approval. And, you know, I never wanted to feel like, well, I need to paint this because this is what people like. Or I need to paint this because this is where the trend is going. Or I need to paint this size of canvas because this is what will sell more. Like I just wanted to be able to keep something for me that's simply just like, I want to paint this because I want to fucking paint this. If people like it, they like it, but it doesn't weigh on like my livelihood. And that's all you can do is try and keep something for yourself. And if you don't, try and just keep it real with yourself. That whatever idea you had and then made and then put out, there are more where that came from. Which brings us to reception. Because you don't know how people are going to respond to your shit. You truly, truly don't. I can tell you with this book, ah, man, I really don't know. I really don't know. I want people to love it because I love it. I'll create art that I definitely want people to care about. Like that's not, I'm not going to lie to you and say like, I don't care. Like I'm not Emily Dickinson. I'm not hiding poems under my mattress. You know, like I want, I do want people to find joy in the stuff that I'm creating. I do. If it, and if it's not joy to find insight or, you know, whatever my, my directive is for what I'm creating. Sometimes it's for them to have all those things. Sometimes it's just, I want you to be uncomfortable. You know, sometimes it's I, I, but I do, I guess what I'm saying is I want people to respond based on the intention that I created it with. I think that's like a natural, consistent desire for artists to have. Right. And when there's an incongruity of affect, it can be very, like it can feel very hurtful. That's why Badu said I'm an artist. I'm sensitive about my shit, you know? So like, I know that when you do a book, you're putting ideas into the world that people may not agree with. And the method by which they disagree with them can go from simply just them talking amongst their friends or them trying to ban the fucking book. You know, like Toni Morrison in her, in her, in her documentary pieces of me, she talks about how, like when she saw that they were banning her books, she has a, she said she has a letter from like, I think Folsom State Prison maybe that she has framed in her bathroom that said that they had banned the book from the prison library for fear of it inciting a riot. And she was like, mission of fucking accomplished, right? You know, and there's been books that we've seen banned for fear of all different kinds of things, right? Fear that it's too sexually explicit for students you know that they won't know how, that they're gonna now start fucking everybody because of reading this book you know or fear that the ideas are too abstract and it's gonna have them you know going crazy and you know they've come up with a bevy of reasons um but then on a you know on a on, a, on another level it's like some people don't like things that make them think differently 
And that's outside of schools. That's just in general. Some people don't like things that challenge the norms they've come to feel safe in. Some people don't like things that reveal inconvenient truths or perceptions about themselves that they have come to accept even though they know better. Well, I'm somebody that does all those things. So there's a certain part of me that, you know, woefully anticipates that reception. But the other part of me knows that there are folks that love all of that, that see inspiration in all of that, that see growth, that see evolution, and that see value in all of that. And this book is essentially for those folks. It's also for the rejects who didn't get picked to do the group musical. You know, like it's for the folks who are like looked at sideways for having fringe ideas about the world and how it operates. It's for the people who have like been silenced and therefore don't feel like they can have a voice, but want to get their voice back. I personally feel that there are folks who are so adamantly against the way that I speak because they used to want to speak that way or they did speak that way and somebody did them dirty for speaking that way either dismissed them or degraded them or uh, disrespected them. And it ended up switching their thinking into thinking that that's not how you operate. That's not a good way to operate. And Amanda, if you're operating like that, you're sending people the wrong idea because you're setting people up to get dismissed, degraded, and disrespected. And if, and for those people, I, I just, I, I feel so sorry for them because it's unfair. It's unfair that they you know, got treated like that. And it's unfair that their voice was manipulated in that way. And I hope that if not in the release of this book now, I hope that eventually, even if it's not my book, maybe it's some other form of art that I create, that I help to inspire the reclaiming of their voice and the squelching of the Ursula who took it in the first fucking place. The next step is the Rhea. The re-up is when you get back in the idea saddle again. I'm back in the saddle again. I'm getting back in the saddle again. What are you going to do in the saddle? I'm going to have ideas. What are you going to do in the saddle? I'm going to have ideas. I don't know if that's how the song goes after that part, but I decided because I had an idea that I would do that, that I brought that idea to praxis. The re-up is that part where you say, okay, I guess it's time for me to do something new. I just need to say this to y'all. There is no statute of limitations on when the re-up is going to happen. Now, for some of us, we are in fields where we have to consistently put out ideas and art. And that can feel like a lot of pressure. And it can definitely be overwhelming because it's just like, damn, like, what if I don't feel creative right now? And I suggest to those of us who are in those professions, I suggest that you consider always thinking about how you take the last idea and let it manifest in new ways. Because sometimes it's like, I just need to still keep working on continuing to grow this before something else comes. Like that's, like when it comes to my book, like people are asking me already for my next book and I'm like, the, the fuck, fuck out of here. Like, and I started to pressure myself to do it and I was like, no, no. no. And the type of artist I am as a multi-hyphenate, like, I'm just not in the book bag right now. Like I'm not in the book writing bag right now. And that's fair. Like, and I don't care what anybody says because people who are asking me that are like more so about like the commerce of it all. And like the commerce is not what drives any of my art. It just doesn't like to my mother's chagrin, like, you know, like I'm sure to my agents and everybody, like it's just not, it's not really at the helm, but the helm is making shit that I feel good about that will make people feel good. And that will have a lasting legacy that will only hopefully get better and not worse over time. I want my art to become vintage. I want my art to appreciate. You know, I want it to get better over time. I want people to find things in it that they could only see with like the passage of time and growth and evolution and, and other art. That's what I aspire to make. I want that when I leave this earth that my epitaph is like, Amanda made some good shit, yo. For real. With two R's. And... <laughs> And that is, that's it. But in order to do that, like you have to have a certain kindness and gentleness with like your artistic person that's in you, like that artistic voice that's in you that says like, I need a rest. 
you know, and you, you take that person out, you, you feed her other art, you feed her or him or whatever non-gender application you, you apply, but you feed it the things that you've learned over time, rejuvenate it. And that's something that you as a creative have to explore and discover. What rejuvenates the artistic entity that lives within you? Is it sleep? You know, is it being around other artists? Is it travel? Is it like creating the same form of art, but without the expectation of release, you know, without the expectation of commerce, like just to do it? Is it, is it shutting down? Is it going, you know, going away? Or is it doing something the exact opposite? Is it like, you know, doing something that's like completely using the other side of your brain? Like now I'm going, like I did this whole RC thing and now I'm going to like do my accounting, you know, like, is it, I'm just throwing things out there. Like, is it literally just like engorging yourself with music that you love? You know, like, is it play? Is it letting yourself feel young again? And like letting yourself do things that maybe don't get to be done when you're in your artistic space, going to water parks or trampoline parks or playing kickball or, you know, is it interacting with kids because their our minds are so imaginative and free and fresh that it naturally just kind of like fertilizes your mind to, to create new connections. There's, There's so, so many, many options. options, but you got to discover like, what is it that rejuvenates your artistic mind and your artistic space? For me, it is experiencing other people's art. Um, it's getting away, getting like creating distance from the art that I've just created um, or, and, and not just getting distance in terms of like, like for instance, like I'm doing a book tour and I'm going to be talking about the book and we have some other events like planned for the book, but just like, I gotta like, n- like after this week, like I'm not going to be talking about this book until the next time I'm talking about the book. Do you, you understand what I'm saying? saying? Like, I need to just have some distance in a different space. For me, it's about like creating art in another type of space. So like now it's like working on these scripts that are a completely different way for my brain to operate than the book I was doing. Like that's big for me. And also like nature, nature is big for me. So like being outside and just like letting myself just be outside in like open space, like being at the beach, being on my hammock, you know, going to Florida and being in my mom's backyard and just like sitting amongst just, you know, this whole other way of existence that has nothing to do with capitalism. And that is like something I look forward to doing. And, but in the meantime, before I get to the re-up, I am now in the phase of the release and the reception. And you have to have like ways to keep your brain like healthy in that time. And that's by one for me, like I can't look at comments and shit. Like I just can't, I can't engage in the internet during like the full release of this. I can't allow myself to be, um, just like distracted and dismayed by like the various people that will not understand what I was doing, you know, because there's going to be plenty of people that do understand what you're doing, but like, and if no one understands what you're doing, you also need to like, ah, like not let that be the tsunami that comes over you. Cause you don't, again, ever wanted to stop you from doing the next thing. Cause the next thing might be the thing. It might be the thing. And then the next thing might not be the thing. And then the next thing after that might not be the thing. But then the next thing after that, after that might be the thing. And when I say the thing, I just mean like the thing that makes you feel as an artist that you connected with the universe through your art. And sometimes that doesn't happen immediately through the people. And that is a hard pill to swallow. And sometimes you're just like off key. Because maybe you're not connected enough to the to the people that you wanted to even make the art for or to the purpose you wanted to make the art for. And then that's a slap in the face too. But I will say that with my book, Small Doses, I do feel very confident about the fact that I was allowed to create a work that connects to the purpose and the people that I made it for. And I was allowed to do that because I had the luxury of time and I had the luckiness of an editor that really understood not only my project, but my person. And... um And I also had just the awareness the entire time of the fact that like I need to like be 
mindful. The doozy though is that something happens is that you put out a book, you finish the book and then a year later it's out. So you grow within that year too. So there's like stuff in that book that I've definitely shifted from, you know, or that I've like elevated to, or maybe I've even added to, right? Or maybe that I maybe wouldn't have put in the book if I did it right now. And I think that that is um, also just kind of like the the result of like art and process. And you got to like really understand that this process is yours to define and yours to design. And the word process by nature is a functionality that is put in place to create something. And so that's going to change. It's going to shift. It's going to blossom. It's going to stall. But at the end of the day, like you as a human are in process. You are something that was created and you are continuously manifesting a functionality of how you create in this world, how you create a life for yourself. And that is a really big thought that just blew my mind, kind of. You know that gif? That's one of my favorite gifs. That mind-blowing gif with the turtleneck? Yeah. But if we bring it back down to earth, just make your shit, y'all. You know, get the idea. Ask if you can do it. Figure out how to do it. Get excited about it. And just do the shit. And if it doesn't go after that, start over. But if you're creative out there, I empathize with you because we're fucking weirdos. This shit is not easy. It's a bitch, which is a synonym for it not being easy. But <laughs> it's it's a beautiful, dark place. But it creates so much light. And especially in these dark times, we are the saviors. Check out my book, Small Doses, Potent Truths for Everyday Use, featuring words and art by yours truly, available now in stores everywhere. Star Avenue, a, podca- <clears throat> a podcast network.